Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. I just want to say, God is awesome. Back in June, I approached Pastor Matt, and I said, Pastor Matt, the Lord's given me a title for a lesson. It's called A Heart for God. I said, I believe the Lord wants me to teach it. Whenever you think it's time, you let me know. Well, at the end of August, he texted me and said, Linda, can you start teaching in September? And at the, first, the four weeks in September, I said, sure. Wednesday night, Pastor Brandon got up here, and what did he preach on? A heart for God. Nine o'clock service this morning, what did he get up and talk on? A heart for God. A lady in this church came to me and approached me and said, I saw you standing and preaching, and you were talking about a heart for God. So fasten your seatbelts. We're, get, we're getting ready to go. God has a purpose and a plan for this house, and he wants us to have a heart for him. Okay? Sam's coming to get our offering. So let's bow our heads in prayer. I want you to place your hand on your heart. And let's dedicate that heart to him. Father, we just come to you today as a corporate body, united, standing in our love for you. And Father, we, I just pray that right now, Lord, you create a heart for you that surpasses our knowledge, that surpasses our understanding, Lord, that goes beyond what we can even think or say, Lord. And we just bring you all the glory and all the praise and bless this offering, Lord, to your name. Amen. When I started thinking about a heart for God... Let me get a drink here before I start, because if I don't, my voice will start quivering. I thought, Lord, what does that look like? What does a heart for you look like? And immediately I thought of the story of David. And I have an introduction I want to read to you. And the Lord gave me this vision. I actually saw this. So I want to read to you what the Lord gave me and what I wrote down. I pictured, this, I pictured this freckled-faced young man standing, staring across at his enemy. He is clothed in an off-white tunic with a rope fastened around his waist. There is a leather strap secured around his forehead, and his uh, reddish-blonde curls catch the sun. He repositions his staff in his hand and he reaches down and he grabs his slingshot half hanging at his side. Pushing his feet firmly into his roughly hewn sandals that protect his feet from the jagged rocks he's standing on, he stands a little taller. It is time. He is ready. With a strong jut to his chin and a determined stance, he is equipped, empowered, and ready for battle. There is no fear. There is no trepidation. God is with him. And he is ready to destroy the giant who defies the army of God. That's where God wants us. He wants us in that same stance. 
So as I recently read this story again, I recalled that vision I had. And I began to ask myself, Lord, there was more than David standing on that mountain that day. There was Saul. There was all of David's brothers. There was the army of God, mighty warriors. And here comes this young lad. He's about 15 or 16, walking up. What made him so special? Why did he look across and see something different than what they did? In Acts 13, 22, this is why God said what he did about David. This is when he called, said he has a heart for me. In Acts 13, 22, it says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. Wow, what a character reference. God saying, this is my man. He will do my will. Don't you want that character reference from God? Saying, this is my daughter. She will do my will. That is what institutes a heart for God. Someone willing to do the will of God. As I studied the story of David, there is one scripture that continually came to my mind depicting the life of how David lived. And this is my favorite scripture. This is what brought me through my divorce. This is what I stood upon. But I thought I understood this verse. But every time I look at it, there's more revelation that comes out to it through into me. But it's Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. So what, it, what does that verse mean? First of all, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is faith. That is complete faith. Faith in the Greek is the word pistos, and it's the moral conviction. It's the truthfulness of God. It's reliance upon Christ, and it's assurance. Faith is believing that something is true and committing our lives to it. But when I, I thought, Lord, I know what faith is. We all think we know what faith is. But when you start delving into the scripture and getting deeper, you realize there's so much more to it. Nicole and Brent know what faith is, what they went through this last year. We heard last week Sandra, or maybe it was the week before, she knows what faith is. She was standing there in the hospital. They were telling her she was going to die. She stood upon faith. How often do we think we know, but it takes something bad to come into our life before we realize what faith is? He does, Connie. All right, lean not on your own understanding. That is wisdom. Wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. It's the quality of being wise, the ability to discern between right and wrong. All right, in all of your ways, acknowledge him is surrender. It means to cease resistance and submit to another's authority. And then the last part, it says, he shall direct your paths. He shall direct your path is allowing God to guide and direct us, and he receives the victory. 
I want you to think about this. There is never a victory without a surrender. Someone or something must die, must give in, must give up their rights to their self. A lot of times we think victory in the, in the aspect of a military perspective. But what about our heart? What about our heart which consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions? Are we willing to give up the rights to ourself and give him the victory? Surrender our heart, our, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our thoughts, all of our desires, all of our emotions, and give it to him. We must die to ourselves and live for him. David trusted in the Lord with all of his heart, and his faith positioned him to receive what God had already prepared. So how did David have that faith? In order to understand this, I started looking at the genealogy of David to determine how his faith was such a strong foundation. So we're going to go into Matthew 1, verses 2 through 6. And this is all these begots, but we need to go through all this lineage in order to understand. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amminadab. Amminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot, begot David the king. It's important to look there and realize on this uh, genealogy, they gave the women's names. And in that time, the women had a different row than the men. It's not, it's, um, I, I don't want to say this, but it, it, in that culture, the women didn't have the same level of authority as the men. But in this scripture verse, they mentioned these women because it was very important to realize. And I'm going to go over this in just a minute, who these women were. All right, Abram had a choice to make. He had, God called him and said, I want you to leave your father, and I want you to leave the land of Ur, and I want you to go off on the journey that I want you to take and I have a promise for you. He said, I don't want you to stay in the wickedness of the land of your father. So Abram chose God. And what did he do? He stepped out by faith. All he had to go on was his promises that God would bless him and guide him. There was no way he could even begin to visualize what the future held. But he trusted by faith in the one guiding him. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And Abraham means the father of many. And the nation of Israel was established. And through his lineage would be established the throne of David, from whom was born Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Isaac's name means he will laugh. And we all know these stories, but I'm, I'm going over the, these because it's very... I'm going to get to a point here in a minute. 
Isaac name means he will laugh. And we know that story. When, when Sarah heard she was going to have a, a child, she laughed. So they named him Isaac. Isaac was the miracle child born to Sarah and Abraham when she was 90 and he was 99. He was the first descendant in the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. All right, Jacob, his name means to follow at the heel, to supplant or take the place of. He is the son of Isaac, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we know, heard the story, when he was born, he grabbed a hold of Esau's heel, and then he stole his brother's birthright. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are among the most significant people of the Old Testament. And it's important to realize that it is not because of their character, but it's the character of God. And I want to go back a little bit and look at these women here. All right, Tamar. Tamar was married to Judah's son, and he died. In that culture, when you were married into a family, whenever your husband died, then they were supposed to let the next son in line marry the widow and carry on the family's name. So her husband died, then they let uh, the next son married her, but he refused to have a child by her. So he, he died. Judah was supposed to keep his promise of allowing his next son to marry Tamar, but he did not. So Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute, and Judah slept with her, and she conceived. All right, so that is Tamar. All right, we know Rahab. What was Rahab? A prostitute. A prostitute. All right, and then we have Ruth. Ruth was married to one of Naomi's sons. She was a Moabite. They were the most hated. by they, The Jews hated the Moabites. They considered them wicked. But I want you to consider this. That lineage is the lineage that Jesus Christ came from. We talk about dysfunction in our families. Jesus came from a dysfunctional family. But look at him. He's the son of God because his God, his heavenly father was perfect. So just because you consider yourself, people say you're dysfunctional. You say, no, I'm not. Because my heavenly father is absolutely perfect. He made me and I was created in his image. And I'm absolutely perfect through his son, Jesus Christ. So I thought it was very important to realize Jesus came from that line. So whenever the enemy comes against you and tries to tell you you're nothing, you remind him who Jesus, where Jesus came from and who he is. And through Jesus, you are just like him. All right, let's keep on going. Boaz and Ruth. Boaz was a wealthy landowner. Not only did he, he do what was right, but he did it in the right way. Ruth was the Moabite. We know her story. She married Naomi's son. And uh, I'm not going to go into all these stories. It'll, it would take up time. But all of these ancestors, of, most of these ancestors of David's are listed in Hebrews 11 as the Old Testament's patriarchs of faith. 
So David understood what it was walk, what it was like to walk by faith. He heard it. Back then, they didn't have the written word like we do, our Bibles. They passed down stuff from generation to generation. Stories meant so much during that day. And they listened to their elder parents and their grandparents. And, th- and in that time, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sure their great-grandparents were living. So they listened to these stories over and over and over, and they became alive in their heart. It was like it was part of who they were. So David had that heritage of faith passed down from generation to generation. And as I thought about this faith, I recalled all the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how they failed many times. They were serving the Lord by faith. And I wondered, Lord, why, after seeking the promise and walking by faith, why did they fail so many times? And why did you not give up on them? Why were you faithful over and over and over when they chose to go against your will? When Abraham placed his wife in the king's palaces and telling them he, that was his sister and they could have slept with her. But he, he sinned in so many ways. He, he married, uh, I mean not married, but he slept with Sarah's concubine and had a child by her. Why did God, why were you so faithful? Why did you not give up? So as I continued to study, I came across some scriptures that it just brought it to life to me. And sometimes I think if we really look close enough, we could see this, this word beating, breathing. It is alive. It is alive. And every time you get into it, Something else pops into your heart and changes the way you see things, the way you think. So here's what I came across. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. This is the covenant that God made with Abraham. He said, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And then you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Three times God gave this covenant to Abraham, or Abram. So he made this covenant, God made this covenant with Abram. And Abraham made a sacrifice with God. And I was reading up on these sacrifices in the covenant. And what they would do is they would take the animal and they would split it in half. And they would lay them on the altar. And then they would walk in a figure eight around it, symbolizing that covenant relationship. Covenant and eight, if I'm not wrong, is new beginning. So they made a new beginning with their God, a covenant relationship. The Middle East culture today still walks in covenant. Even the, the, the ones that serve Allah, they make a covenant relationship with their false God. But the Jews understand covenant because that's what they live upon. So Genesis 17, 19, God's covenant with Isaac. <clears throat> God said... No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. 
I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Genesis 28, 15, this is God's covenant with Jacob. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So these were all the covenants given to Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. And I also want to read you the covenant. This is really not God giving a covenant to Ruth. But Naomi, Ruth was in the family of Naomi and her husband and her two sons. So she watched and observed who the God is that they, that they worshipped, that they followed. So when it came time after Naomi's husband died, Naomi's sons died, and, it, and uh, Naomi heard that the famine was over in Israel, and she decided to go back. We all know this story, too. But Orpha left, and Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So Ruth was actually saying, I make a covenant with your God. I make a covenant with your God. I believe in him. He will take care of me. I will go with you. I will follow you. So what is a covenant? A covenant in and the, the English word covenant comes from the Latin word convenere. It literally means to come together or to, to agree. The Hebrew word for it is berith, which literally means to bind or to feather. It's a binding obligation. In scriptures, it is the ultimate expression of committed love and trust. And it was usually made to define, confirm, establish, or make a binding relationship that had been in the making for some time. It is binding, unbreakable obligation between two parties based on unconditional love. It is sealed by blood, and it's a sacred oath. It creates a relationship in, with, in which each party is bound by specific undertakings on each other's behalf. So I want to sort of just briefly explain, explain what a uh, covenant looked by, like back then. So if, if say, two men, uh, and they were, had armies and they uh, were part of a nation, they said, we want to make a covenant with you, then the other party would agree. They would make a blood sacrifice, sacrifice the animals, they would go through all these rituals and all these forms to, to make sure that that sacrifice was legitimate and both parties understood. They would either cut themselves in the hand or on the arm. And they, they would either mix their bloods together or they would let their blood drop onto the sacrifice. Okay, so they had a binding obligation. It went deeper than family. It went deeper than friends. It was a binding obligation. So when they went out to battle, 
if one nation, say, I had an, an army, and it, my army was Linda, and Alice was in trouble, and Alice called for me and said, Linda, I need your help, I would go help her. If I walked into a room, and, I, and across the room, and it had been years since I'd seen her, she holds up her arm, she's got scars here or here, I'd hold up my arm. I remember my binding obligation to you. We're blood brothers. We're blood sisters. That's why when the Lord showed me, you know how we praise him? When our heart is given to him, we praise him. We say, Lord, I have a covenant relationship with you through Jesus Christ, your son. The blood is a podcast. Has, my heart has been circumcised through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm in covenant with you, God, through your son, Jesus. So don't ever forget that. In Genesis 15, it, it, gives, the, um, it gives all the information about Abram's sacrifice that he made a covenant relationship with God. And in verse 6, it says, And Abram believed the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Although Abram had been demonstrating his faith through his actions, it was his belief in the Lord and not his actions that made Abram right with him. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is a now moment. And, it's, and the covenant of God that God had with Abram all the way to David it was the foundation for that faith to be built upon. The Israelites received the covenant from God. So how does that look like for us as Gentiles? Pastor Brandon mentioned this this morning. As Gentiles, we are grafted in by faith. And we receive the covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans 11, Paul writes... The Gentiles are grafted into the olive tree and nourished by the root. The tree signifies the collective people of God. And the wild branches grafted in are Gentile believers. The natural branches that are cut off are the Jews in unbelief. Jewish believers remain in the tree but are joined with Gentiles and made into a new body, the church so how can we be participants in the new covenant relationship with God? I want to read from this book. I encourage you, if you ever can go to LCU, this is called The Power of the Blood Covenant. This lesson and this study during LCU changed the way I thought about my relationship with God. It made it so much richer. But I'm going to read from this book, and I want you all to listen to this. God has a radical agenda of love. He reaches to every man and woman to reconcile us to himself, to include us in the circle of his intimate friends, and to return each one of us to the reason for our creation. How does he achieve this goal of totally transforming the man or woman who is dead in sin? He achieves it with no help from us. He makes the new covenant a unilateral covenant originating solely with him 
freely offered to man as a gift, a covenant based on an oath from God, who swears by himself because there is no one else above him. But a covenant is between two parties. Each party has a representative. How shall such a covenant take place when the human side of the covenant is so sinful, so unfaithful, and they love their darkness rather than the light of God? There is no one on earth to represent him. For such a covenant to take place, we need a human being to represent every man and woman to God. We need a second man to restart the human race. Another Adam who can set aright what the first Adam brought to, to destruction. And then he needs to take humankind to an intimacy with God that he had been created to enjoy. We need one who can represent us to God, saying the yes to him that the first Adam failed to say. And in that yes, lead all of us to a destiny for which we are created. I hope this is sinking into you how it did to me. The gospel is the announcement that God has provided this man in a way that no one could dream of in one's wildest imagination. Before time, everlasting love and infinite wisdom produced the plan. God the Father, in his great love for us, determined to send his Son, who without ceasing to be God, would take to himself our humanity and become flesh. The Son, in His love for us, agreed to come as a true human to live out our human life. He faced our hardships, our temptations, and finally offered Himself to die as and for us. He would rise from the dead, having put away sin and achieved the reconciling of the world to God. And He would bring about the new covenant. The Holy Spirit agreed to come and make the covenant a reality in the lives of those who believe on Jesus. As our representative, he is the mediator of the new covenant. The word in the Greek literally means to go between. One who goes between two parties to bring peace. He possesses, possesses the nature and attributes of God and represents him to humankind. He has taken on the nature of humankind without sin and so fully knows the needs of each one of us and he can represent us to the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, is the covenant in himself, the representative of God and the representative of the human race. They meet in one person, Jesus Christ. The first and most basic thing we have to understand as that is that this new covenant is not made with us as individuals. There's no way we can make it. It is a covenant made by God the Father with God the Son. The Father guarantees the divine side of the covenant. And the Son guarantees the human side. Having taken our humanity as us and for us. He becomes ours individually as we believe on Lord Jesus and are joined to him. The new covenant is out of our hands. 
and beyond our ability to break. It is guaranteed by the triune God. And there is, there is I'm sorry, therefore is unconditional and unbreakable. Jesus Christ is the representative man of the new covenant as the Son of God. He stands in eternal, infinite love relationship with his Father. And as a sinless man, he is worthy to enter into the covenant with him. He makes the covenant solely as and for us. As the eternal object of the Father's love and delight, he does not need to enter into a covenant with him. He has no need of any promises or blessings of the covenant. In limitless love for us, he has joined himself to us to never leave us. We are inseparable from him. He achieves the covenant and earns all of its blessings, not for himself, but for us. When the Spirit comes to us, I'm sorry, when the Spirit joins us to him, all the promises of the covenant made to him become ours. So folks, God never leaves us. He made a covenant relationship with us through Jesus Christ, his son. I don't care what you've done. He is there for you. Who leaves in a relationship with God? He doesn't leave. It's us. It's us. So a heart for God, we need to make sure that we remember that covenant. We need to remember who Jesus Christ is in and through us. We need to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind, and walk in his will. And when the enemy comes in and tries to get you to doubt your relationship with Jesus, you stomp his head and remind him whose you are in Christ and that God has made a covenant relationship with you. And your, your covenant, <clears throat> I'm sorry, your relationship is with Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus prayed that, paid that ultimate blood sacrifice for us. And we are in covenant through Jesus with God. I hope all this has made sense to you because when I read this, when we were studying that in school, it just, it really came alive and, and time passed. And I, I mean, I, I still remembered it, but when I started studying this again, it became so alive to me again because I realized <clears throat> that no matter what the enemy brings against me, COVID, fear, <clears throat> doubt, confusion, sickness, the world system that we're facing right now with the politics, God is still God, and he's on the throne. And he made a covenant relationship in order for the first Adam sinned, and that covenant was broken. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came and died. And for our sins, he became our sin. And he went to hell and he conquered death, hell, and grave. And he could have took the keys to death, hell, and grave. And he arose and he sprinkled the blood of Jesus on the mercy seat. And now when God looks down from heaven, he looks through that blood. And he does not see my sin. He does not see your sin. He sees his son. So you remind Satan whose you are. You remind him, I have a heart for God and I am going to follow him. Satan, you get behind me. You get beneath me. You have no authority and you have no power because all authority and power has been given to me by my Father. And right now in Jesus' name, I 
stomp your head and I command you to leave my house. I command you to leave my daughter's bedroom, she, my uh, hospital room. Cancer, you have to flee in Jesus' name. COVID, you have to flee in Jesus' name. Right now, in Jesus' name, I command and I take authority. That authority and that command is given to you by Father. It doesn't come with it from you. It comes from Him because your heart is flowing and following Him. Next week, we're going to study about uh, David and Goliath, so be prepared. God is he's, he's equipping and preparing this church. You guys, we're ready to go to war. And we got to take, put on our army battle gear and recognize our position because we're going into battle. And God's going to give us the authority and the power to conquer all the wickedness around us and to set the captive free. And he wants you to be part of that army. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your covenant relationship that you made through Jesus Christ, your son, and that we can be participants of that covenant when we accept your son as our savior. Lord, I, I just know that each person in here loves you, and I pray that during the rest of September as we study this word, that more revelation will come to us and that something new that we never saw before will be revealed to us, Lord. And more than anything else, Lord, give us a heart for you that we can follow strong and hard after you, Lord, being the man or woman of God that you've called us to be, being the service that's getting ready to follow, Lord, and we give you all the glory and all the praise in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening today to the Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.